0: But I think instead of getting into the details and nitty-gritty of the this, of this standard uh, or what those standards might be, I think the bigger picture here is architects essentially being held liable for decisions that we can't enforce. In other words, uh, because some of the, uh, in the article, one of the attorneys says, this is a big win for property owners throughout California whose buildings suffer from design errors caused by the negligence of architects and engineers. Okay, I could totally understand that. But if I understand this case correctly, this case was a building owner deciding to use a different material than the architect specified. So if the architect didn't make a design error, right? They, the architect was not negligent. They chose the proper performing glass. It was just changed by the building owner, and the architect has no authority to overrule the building. If the building owner wants to do something different... How, what, what power do we have, even contractually, to say, no, you can't do that? We don't. So how can the architect be held liable for something like that?
1: Welcome to the Archispeak Podcast. I'm Evan Troxell. Each episode, Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and I have a casual conversation about all things architecture, and we invite you to listen in as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the blocks of Corbusier's City of Tomorrow more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we stand around the water cooler and talk about why we love our chosen profession. It's time for some speak.
0: Welcome to episode 52 of the Arcuspeak Podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell.
2: And I'm Cormac Phelan.
0: And this show is sponsored by Arcat, And we'll uh, be talking more about them, and maybe Cormac will share another uh, weekly sh- story about uh, his use of Arcat uh, later in the show. Um, But for 52, episode 52, that is, we're going to bring up um, something that is probably a concern to those of us uh, architects that are in California or future architects in California, too. Uh, But it could set a precedent across uh, potentially across the country, uh, depending on how this goes. And what I'm referring to is a lawsuit that, at least right now, kind of suggests or actually sets a precedent for new liability for architects. And this particular um, lawsuit is where the California Supreme Court ruled that two large firms, uh, being Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill, and HKS Architects, uh, could be forced to pay damages to an association of condominium owners who claimed that their apartments were too hot, years after the developer rejected the architect's recommendation to use low-E glass. And so what this article... Does go into um, although it doesn't really get into the detail of exactly um, if the energy code standards were met. So we're going to probably assume that uh, they were, even though the low E glass wasn't used. Um, but what this really kind of brings up the question is: uh, at what point in time does the architect, or, or what what is the architect's really? role and uh, responsibility for choosing materials and then having the owner change them later, even if it meets the code and, and it's not um, a substandard building as far as energy code is concerned here in California. Um, And then it's changed. And then the, the clients come back or the owners come back later, years later and sue the architect. This is a kind of a very scary sort of thing that, uh, that this, this article is pointing out that this lawsuit is is really kind of setting down on architects. And so for episode 52, we kind of wanted to discuss this particular uh, case and then what it could mean for, for the rest of us.
2: And real quick, if we could rewind, uh, the article uh, that Neil's referring to is uh, an article in Architectural Record um, titled, Lawsuit Suggests New Liability for Architects.
1: And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And real quick, you can find the show notes. uh, First of all, you could get them emailed to you. If you go to the site, com, and on the right side of the page, you can sign up for that. Um, And they'll just get emailed to you as soon as the show goes live every, every episode. Um, Or you can read the show notes on the episode page. And so this will be episode 52 on the site.
0: So guys, what do you think about this? I mean, the, the case itself basically, um, said that, you know, the, the owner of the building decided to change the material against what the architect had, uh, essentially specified. And what concerns me most about this is that, um, the attorney, uh, whose firm that represented the residents was quoted as saying, this is, a." Uh, quote, a big win for property owners throughout California whose buildings suffer from design errors caused by the negligence of architects and engineers. And that's unquote. And what concerns me about her statement there is that she's saying that yay, it be this is a good a good thing because, you know, if, if architects make a design error, then we should be held liable, essentially. And and, and in general that, that is true that is you know, generally true already. But what concerns me here is that the architect actually recommended the use of a higher performing gla- glazing. And then the building owner decided not to do that. So we're going to assume that the building still meant the energy code. So the architect necessarily wasn't negligible. They didn't design uh, a poor performing building per the code. Um, so I- I'm concerned about like, yeah, how does this attorney feel that this is a win when the architect really doesn't have a say over the owner purchasing a different material?
1: Well, and, and then just to kind of add, add to that real quick, be, without actually tackling the, the main problem is, I mean, we know that when you're, when you specify glazing, it's, it's part of a much bigger picture, right? Right. So, because they substituted the glazing, now all of a sudden, you know, they they probably didn't recalc everything. And right. so now the HVA system is e- either has to work a lot harder or, or it just can't even keep up. And so it can't cool the space. Because even though it could meet a standard, that standard is a state standard. And there are 16 different climate zones in California. And then there's microclimates on top of that, right? Where you know, depending on the orientation of the building and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, it probably just was a recipe for disaster to pick on that one piece and, and swap it out. And so now it, and I don't think it actually says this in the article, but I'm wondering if, if the owners actually sued the developers and then the developers dragged the architects into it. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot here that isn't being said because we don't actually have access to the court documents. Um, but i'm guessing you know this this article is kind of jumping to the conclusion that this is something that architects have to worry about and i think they're right i mean this this would be a nightmare to have to face where it is something that's out of your control architects do not control how the contractors put the building together they don't control you know there's obviously details and
2: stuff that but but you don't have control over what happens on the job site you know i mean we were we were talking a little Pre-show about um, how you know we're always constantly um, either asked, demanded, or whatever to control costs by you know meeting code minimums, which is going to give you X level of performance. And and you were saying you said it best, Evan. I mean, okay, if to either control the cost and and you know I, I can only gather. And again, you're right. We you know without knowing the full brunt of everything, I I can only gather that, you know, there's cost overruns and they started looking at, okay, what's a good way for us to um, start saving money, you know, and people do it all the time between, you know...
1: Well, and not even, it might not even be an overrun. They might just see an opportunity to save money. I mean... Well, true. So,
2: yeah, it doesn't have to be over budget. It kind of frustrates me because, you know, we get into these positions all the time with, you know, having to basically kind of reduce cost base, you know, and reduce, um, things to basically just a code minimum, uh, building. Does it mean it's the best performing building? No, but it just, you know, it means that it does meet code And you know, the deletion of low E, uh, coding on glazing, the, the glazing probably still meets, uh, what is it? A uh, um, what do you guys call it out in California? The, your energy code section six of title 24. Okay, so, you know, your your Section 6, I mean, it probably meets that. In fact, it's going to have to, right? Well, you would think. And, and the other weird thing about this
1: to me is that the the lawsuit was dismissed, but then it was reinstated during the appeal. And I could only imagine. I mean, you Put yourself in the owner's shoes who are living in these condos. It, they've got to be pissed, right? I mean, it's it would suck to live in a place that that you were the food in the microwave oven, right? Right. And so, yeah, what are your options, right? Your option is to sell to some other unsuspecting soul who is going to hate you. And, you know, most people's ethics wouldn't, wouldn't go that far. Um, or you, you sue the, the developer, or you sue the architect, right? For, for building something in such, so incredibly stupid, right? So, I get it. I get why they're doing that, but at the same time, the like you're saying the the ripple effect here is much bigger and 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 again out of the architect's control or so it seems in this yeah. in this in this uh case.
2: Actually it does actually say that the developer um substituted the lower performance glass to reduce the costs. Um yeah. which, you know, doesn't mean, you know, that it was it, you know cost overruns or whatever. I mean there are other options, you know, here and, and this is just thinking about, you know, okay, um, the what do you know, coming at it from the homeowners association, you know, what do you do? Um, you know, when I was living in Florida, uh the office that I worked at, we had single pane um storefront windows and, you know, we were western facing, bacon in the sun. So we ultimately ended up um, putting a uh film on it that you know kind of acted very similar to a low e coating and in fact actually it was a low e film but it also um was uh used to um it, it was kind of an impact um uh coating as well so that you know a single pane glass uh standing up in a hurricane doesn't didn't really meet the hurricane loads um I mean, it did when we did when it was designed and built, but you know, later on down the road, when we were occupying it, and um, and the new codes changed, we wanted to do. Uh, we wanted both to increase its thermal performance, but also increase its uh, performance, um, its wind loading performance. But I mean, there are those options too, and it's not that they're cheap, but there are options that could basically bring it back up to the original performance and probably even exceed the uh, original performance of the building of the original specified um glazing just by the application of all these you know the different film um you know so <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> so I,
0: no, I was just going to bring up we we have um there'll be a couple of other links in there to uh, uh, two different law firms that uh, have issued kind of reviews and or statements on this ruling by the California state Supreme court. And in one of them, and we'll have links to each of them in here um, in, in one of them, it it's kind of, I don't know. This is very concerning to me because uh, it says here that the, the, the architect basically has um, uh, let's see on a residential construction project owes a duty of care to a future homeowner. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's kind of scary about that is that, okay, maybe the initial homeowner is okay and is fine, but the future homeowner is not okay with it or potentially a different future homeowner. Um, does that mean we're liable to whoever lives in that house in the future? Um, that's what
1: it it sort of within sounds like. the statute like. of limitations?
0: I, I suppose within the statute of limitations, yes. So, Which could um, be
1: two or three homeowners, uh, you know, the way things go now.
0: Right, exactly. And it says here that uh, the architect has potential liability, um, even if the architect does not actually build the project or exercise control over
1: the construction decisions. Right. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say earlier. I mean, you you don't have jurisdiction over job site safety, means and methods, but then, you know, the stuff we're talking about here, I mean, there's a lot of things we'd have no say over, right, when it comes to actually building the building. And then I think this also gets back to something you brought up earlier, Neil, before we actually walked up to the water cooler here and started talking about this, but it was, you know, who who gets to tell the client that they can't do that? It's not us, Right. right. It is their money. We have the responsibility to do what they want. We make recommendations. This happens on projects that I work on all the time. You make all these recommendations, and then they overrule a bunch of them. And that's that's you, you make your case. You explain it. You even put it in writing, and you send it to them, and you make sure that they sign off on it. But ultimately, it's their money. It's their project, their building. They have to live with it for the life of however long they own it and and what do we get to say about that we we don't you know all we can do is make our best recommendations and and show that yes we've been doing this we have this expertise we have this experience here's why I wouldn't do that um but ultimately they get to decide but according to this ruling
0: you're still going to be liable
1: yeah potentially i guess we'll see what happens with this it's it's definitely something to watch Um, Because it does, like you said, set the precedent. It's it's pretty scary.
0: It's a very scary thing. I mean, it's essentially saying that, uh, you know, the architect can be sued. You know, we can be sued for a lot of different things. And now we can be sued for decisions that we don't even have um, a choice in making. And that's what really concerns me about this one. And again, we, we don't have every detail about this particular case, but, um, the way it sounds is that an owner made a decision to do something not per the recommendation of the architect. And now the architect is basically liable for it. And, um, this particular article does, which is another thing that was, um, I'm not really sure, sure why it was written this way, but in this article that was on architecture record, um, it states that uh the the firms together earned fees for more than 5 million dollars which uh did not escape the court's attention
1: it's yeah, like those those rich architect those, bastards yeah it's like
0: well, <laughs> so what i mean the architects made some money on the project or assume they made some money on the project and that's a problem that you know uh, it's like okay you made too much you made a lot of money so you know you really should well, be liable for this because you made too damn much money it's like really right, give hold, me a break. hold on though
2: hold on neil is the, the, the court <laughs> <should> let me, <laughs> let, me re- let me read this real quick okay all right go ahead okay so this was actually part of one of the narratives of um one of the two law firms that we discussed and again you know It'll be uh in the show notes. But here here's a a quick narrative. You know, it, it talks about the homeowners association sued several parties um involved in the construction of these condominiums and then kind of a couple of uh and then it talks about who they were suing. The homeowners association alleged that the defendants performed negligent architectural design work which resulted in several defects including extensive water infiltration, inadequate fire separation, structural cracks, Um, and other safety hazards. One primary uh, defect alleged was solar heat gain, which made the condominium units unhabitable and unsafe during certain periods due to high temperatures. The Homeowners Association alleged that the solar heat gain was due to the defendant's approval contrary to the state and local building codes of less expensive substandard windows and the building design that, that lacked adequate ventilation. So, you know, so what you're saying here is that this <laughs> first article is a piece of crap,
1: and it doesn't exactly. actually explain the entire and story.
2: That was where I was. That's where I was going. So, <laughs> if we want to argue about, well, they did make five million dollars, and any of that narrative is true, then you know, yeah, we you should point out that you know here we're making high fees of, you know, we fast, you know, go down to the last. Um, the the last sentence of that particular architectural record uh, article where it says that architects should hold themselves in high ethical standard and not expect to be relieved of liability because of negligently designing buildings um, that happen to change hands. Forget the changing hands part, but the negligently designed buildings. And if by some, slim chance, you know, the defendants in this, um, are, You know, basically, you know, when you're going through the review process, you know, you're going to get, um, and, and everybody, you know, a lot of people know this and, you know, some listeners may not, but, you know, when you're going through your, uh, submittal review process, you know, you're going to, well, first, before you even do that, when you're going through the, um, process of creating the specs. A lot of people
1: know what a submittal review process is, but you might just say what that is for some people who
2: don't. Right. Well... But before that, you know, if you, when you're writing the specs, you're writing the specs to meet all of the state and local building codes. So they designed this, both SOM and HKS designed this to meet, uh, your, um, your local building codes. Right. Um, and then, uh, from there. When you're going through your submittal review process, you're basically getting the submittals that are um, going, you know, kind of hand in hand with your specifications. You know, what type of windows do those, you know, does the glazing and all of the coatings and everything else meet all of the basic guidelines that you set forth in your specifications. So you're reviewing that. Now, if through their review process, you know, the owners are cutting um, cutting their cost, and some of this, you know, basically meant that it didn't meet the state and local building codes. As the summary says, then are they held? Li- are, are, should they be held liable? I can't see how. I mean, if you were, if it's well, in the documents, right?
1: This is what you have to provide, right? And they but they submitted if, something and you reject it, but the owner says, "Okay, we'll take it." Then.
2: Well, but that all raises, you can do is say that you don't agree. You know, and, and you've okay. and we've had. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've had this, Evan, and probably sure you've had this, Neil. Uh, I know that I've had this, where you know they've submitted substandard, or they'll submit a substitution request where they are asking, you know, hey, I want to use this low E glass. Or you specified this low E glass, but I've got this, you know, non-coated glass that meets all of the requirements of ASHRAE and all these other, you know, and or the California building codes. Um, it meets it, but it just doesn't have the low E coating on it, you know. And if you look at that and then, you know, you say, okay, well, yes, it does meet all of these, you probably will approve it. Um, based off of, you know, the owner basically saying, you know, dude, you need to approve this because, uh, I can't afford anything else. You know, you're there to basically be the check and balance of making sure it meets the code.
1: Well, and again, though, they've bid the project, right? So the budget's set, but when it comes to decisions where they want to cut more money out of the project during construction is where these problems come up.
2: and and I'm only speaking from my own experience but there's you know you know as well as I do that you know budgets are set but then um, you you know you've got unforeseen conditions that cause cost overruns Um, I don't know any of the facts of what was going on whether or not this site was you know had problems in construction or there was delays in starting which then would cause delays in overruns I mean Great example um, we bid a project we so we just finished bidding a project the the last portion of a project, but we bid out the windows package so essentially the same as this we we bid out the windows package um, September of last year or the bids came in September of last year then we required the um, contractor to hold his prices for 90 days. Um, then, you know, we went through this whole process. Now we're here in, um, actually, sorry. No, it was June, not September. It was June when we bid this. Um, so here we're hold. you know, we're asking him to hold it and hold it. Now we've had delays because we've changed. Um, it it was, this project was bid in three different packages. Um, so no one was going to start construction because the demolition of the, um, the exterior glazing is in the second package. So the glazing guy who bid the package can't start his work until the second package is bid is sent out to bid awarded and all that other stuff. Well, we just did that last week. So they've come back to us and they said that, um, because of escalation in aluminum cost. Now, all of our windows that we've already bid, there's going, we're going to, the price is about to go up 6%. Well, you know, Ouch. it's, it's because we delayed the project, you know, we didn't delay the project. The project was delayed based, you know, off of uh, a change in scope and actually a reduction in the overall um, project uh, budget. So, you know, we had to do some value engineering to kind of get it under the new budget but at the same time, we're trying to frantically get everything under budget, um, by making all of these changes and, uh, the cost, you know, the cost of a previously bid section is going, you know, that cost is a going up. So <laughs> I can see where, you know, there's issues that happen along the way that would cause them to, you know, say, okay, well, now we're over budget. We need to, you know, start doing some cost cuttings or we're never going to finish. We won't be able to finish this project. Um, so that's when, you know, the glass comes in and, uh, he says, you know, Hey, we need to do a uh, cheaper glass. Well, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm sort yeah. of giving that example as a, here are other, you know, here are some reasons why, um, you, we would you would have to be forced to do things like that. Sure. I mean, there's, there's lots of
0: reasons, I think, and we've all been involved in projects and our listeners probably have where these exact things, as you just described, Cormac, happen. uh, And they happen on almost every project, right? I mean, nothing goes perfectly to plan, uh, but, but that doesn't alleviate or or, I'm trying to search for the right word. That doesn't let the architect uh, essentially approve a substandard or something that doesn't necessarily meet the code. I mean, if the energy code, um, you know, states that the, a certain level of a U value and R value has to be met with the glazing, however it's done low E or not, or filled or triple paint or, or you know, argon gas or whatever it is. Um, so long as whatever glazing is chosen meets what the uh building code said then then you shouldn't as an architect you shouldn't be approving something that doesn't meet that standard regardless of how it meets that standard it should still meet that standard and then okay so let's let's just assume for a second let's play this out so let's just assume that for whatever reason something substandard was approved by the architect to say okay yep you can do this and let's assume at this point that no other uh changes to the building were done to increase the energy performance to allow for um a lower performing glass where the heck is the building official who's who's inspecting this building i mean they're inspecting things to make sure that things are meeting essentially the building code um that for the building itself. So they're out there checking it, the 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 energy codes states right on the plans and we have to in California, I'm not sure how other states work. In California, we have to literally put the energy code specifications that uh, uh and, and different requirements for the building in the plan set. I mean, they're right. it's literally on the sheets in the in the set. And so the building official walks out to the site and right there in black and white or in color, <laughs> if they're printed in color, I mean, it says here are the minimum performance standards for these windows and it lists is- every single window. And so if, if the window that is installed has a sticker on it, the sticker's not supposed to be taken off until the plan checker goes through or not the plan checker, the building inspector goes through and checks the window. So if it's different or somehow not, Standard or or not, and and doesn't meet that that code. How did it get? How did it pass the inspection? Now we know that building inspectors are not going to be held. City's not going to be held liable. So maybe they missed it. But I mean, they. I think that they should be. I mean, they're not going to be held liable, but. There should be some responsibility on the on the building inspector to make sure that those windows at least met the code, and that's that's partially what we don't know here in this particular I, case. I so, um, but
2: still, that's in. All right, well, all right. I, I I just I want anybody who's listening to raise their hand and let us know if they've gone through a project where the um, building inspector has actually reviewed the energy performance of the windows you're going to have people who are doing like lead projects who when they're doing their audit well like a commissioner would yeah a commission would but um i I mean i i'm about to get occupancy on another phase of another project that is predominantly all um reglazing you know it's new glazing new construction of you know on a existing building and There isn't a single sticker on the windows and there isn't a single um (laughs) and it's and it's already got occupancy. Well it will have actually I think it does actually already have occupancy. And not a single person checked for the performance of the of the glass.
1: They just assume, Um,
2: right? Now now they will they do look for the etched little portion that, you know, um, on the glass that, you know, talks, it doesn't talk about the performance of the glass, but it does talk about, you know, whether or not it's a tempered glass, you know, for, for safety, right. They're only looking for safety glass in, you know, uh, where it's safety glass is required doors, side lights, you know, things like that. Um, and that's all they're looking for. That, that is literally, we, we went through, we had to go through because we knew that that was what he was looking for. And it was really hard to see some of the etching. So, you know, I suggested find a crayon. We're in a elementary school. There's plenty of crayons. Find a crayon and basically go over the top of, um, go over the top of the, uh, uh, etching so that the etching stands out so that they'll be able to read it and find it and kind of, you know, move on through. But other than that, I've never, I've honestly, I've never really seen anybody, you know, come back and do that. There are very many cases where, um, uh, in the one project that I told you that, you know, the delayed, um, delayed start and the escalation mm-hmm. of the, of the cost, that one, I mean, we specified some pretty, uh, high up there, um, window performance because of the solar orientation and everything else. Um, but that was because, you know, here's a high school with a bunch of, um, you know, western facing glass. And, uh, you know, no, no ability to do sun shading in this, this particular area, Um, basically because of the client's decision to not, you know, uh, let us provide any sun shading. So, you know, we had to, you know, provide um, uh, better performing windows. Right. So, you know, and, and I guarantee that they won't check, I'll be checking, you know, the submittals to make sure that all of the submittals for the glass and, you know, everything else meets the requirements that we've set forth. But uh, raise your hand if, if you've ever had a building inspector actually do that. And if you have, that's awesome. But uh, I have yet to run into one in Florida, Maryland, Virginia, um, <laughs> Delaware, uh, Washington, D.C. I haven't seen one yet. Right,
0: right. Well, since we were talking about specs and performance standards and such, I think we should talk a little bit about ArcCat, our sponsor for this episode.
1: Yeah, ArcCat's awesome. Uh, Would you like someone to draw CAD details for you, create BIM objects for you, write specs for you? Would you like this someone to do it for free? ArcCat has already done all of this for you. You can search the ArcCat libraries for these products and more free of charge and no registration required, which I think is a kind of a cool thing, right? You don't have to sign into their website to uh, to find the information. And you can just download content. RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find building product information fast and hassle-free. So where can you find out about RCAT? You can go to RCAT.com. It's A-R-C-A-T dot com. And uh, if you have never been to RCAT, I recommend you go there and check it out. I was using them the other day, and I'm sure Cormac has a story here too, where I needed to find information for some stage curtains. We're we're jamming on our project, trying to get it into the the state architect this week. So last minute, noticed there was some keynotes missing on our drawings. So I, I went on to RCAT. I found a manufacturer, I found out what spec section it went into, because I wasn't sure, does it go in specialties, does it go in equipment? So it's really clear, it tells you exactly what spec section it needs to go into, CSI format, and it led me to websites where I could find more information and and figure out exactly what I needed to put into my specs and my keynotes, so it was awesome. Um, So definitely, if you've never been there, check it out. If you have been there, you know exactly what they do. Um, you can get all that great information. So it's a huge resource for architects. Uh, highly recommended. Absolutely.
0: Well, great. And thanks, Arcad, again, for uh, sponsoring the Arcuspeak Speak podcast. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. I think that what this kind of made me think of, kind of winding down there at the end, is that I'm I'm guessing, and this has kind of been my response to a bunch of different things lately. I mean, recently, just this week, Bob over at Life of an Architect came out with an article that was basically him answering a question that he gets all the time, and I know all a lot of architects get this. As soon as somebody finds out if you're an architect, oh, you got to be good <laughs> at math, right? So that this I'm going to use the same response that I have for that one, for this one, and my my guess here is that the court system has no idea what architects do, mm-hmm. and so that's. I'm sure that is p- playing into this, right? We've yeah. got a totally screwed up perception of what we do. And so if if a bunch of people are saying it sucks to live here and one judge dismisses it and then the next one comes along and reinstates it, my guess is that there is a breakdown in understanding there.
2: Well, and I and I think I think there's an opportunity for the AIA to kind of step in. Um, and they I mean, did. Because- they did. I mean, in the original one, it talks about the AIA
1: California chapter. And it also talks about support from AIA National. Um, that they filed briefs on the side of the architects. And, I mean, right. I, okay, you might say, well, of course they did. Right? But i am they don't do that for very <laughs> At least no. as far as I know. They don't go out of their way no. to do that.
2: But, you know, and, and it was based off of, you know... Um, they uh, uh, basically there's support for, you know, architects being held liable for design decisions. I mean, it, it sort of a, even kind of goes back to what we were talking about the other, other day. I mean, does this open up architects for, okay, um, we design a building in a specific style for a, um, a client now. And later on down the road, you know, somebody moves into this building and they're like, I don't really like this design. I think I'm going to sue the architect for, you know, whatever design decision that they made, you know, that made this building the way it is. Um, you know, I know that was a little far reaching, but I mean, it, it, you know, there's who knows what this actually opens the door for. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, who, you know, in this, um, sue happy, uh, society that we're now in. Um, I mean, and, you know, it goes back to again, what we were talking about last year, you know, last, uh, uh, episode when we were talking about the fear of liability, you know, I mean, the, you know, this is a, this is a perfect case. I mean, you know, is it going to shy away, um, some architects away from doing, you know, this kind of work, Um, or, you know, I mean, is it going to, you know, what is, what implications do, does it really have?
0: Well, I think Um, actually for a while there were many architects who did shy away from condominiums type projects because of the fear of liability, uh, or, and being sued essentially. I mean, many architects, um, when they do projects like that, they're, they're very concerned about years nine and 10 on the statute of limitations, because that's (laughs) typically when the lawyers drop in on these projects and go, Oh, are there problems here? Oh, well you should sue the architect and sue the building owner and sue everybody who was ever associated with this building and they'll get you and we'll get your problems fixed. And so there definitely is, um, I, I, I think to respond to your question Yes, that that does keep architects away from doing certain types of projects. Um, many smaller architects who maybe can't afford the insurance for that uh, do stay away from that. Larger firms who... Um, I shouldn't say can't afford the, li- the liability insurance, but uh, certainly had the more uh, ability to uh, will tend to do those projects because, as the article pointed out, they uh, scored $5 million in fees. So th- they were uh, certainly lucrative uh, to do this project. But in the end, uh, with all the lawyer fees and that they'll end up paying and if the, any sort of uh, judgment that they have to pay, uh, maybe, maybe it's really not worth it.
2: There is, there is one quote that, you know, I, uh, um, your, uh, AIA, um, California council brought up and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it, it kind of goes along with this, you know, worry of liability, you know, it's, um, and it was from, uh, the, I guess the director of the regulation practice. Um, he says that the architect uh, will be put in a bad posi- uh, position if the current client wants him to do something that will affect uh, the downstream owner. You know, it, it's basically asking us to project ahead to, again, you know, if we're building to, you know, the code minimum standards and, you know, say what you will about designing to the code minimum standards. If you're at least building to the de- code minimum standards, you're... You're good. That's what you're supposed to do, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. But what it's now saying is okay, and we know that codes change. Um, and now that the energy codes are constantly trying to stay up with or a, or push current technologies to get better and better, um, this is actually getting us to a point where um, you know we're going to have to be projecting. Okay, what is the codes, you know, somewhere down the road going to be, and it puts us in this weird position. I mean, cause we, you know, we aren't, we're not going to be able to project, um, into the future, what these current codes are. I mean, hell, um, I had a project that it was permitted under the 2009 and the code officials were trying to enforce the 2012 on us because it was being built you know, 2012, 2013, but they hadn't adopted 2012 when we were, uh, under permit review. And, um, and it had, uh, um, I mean, we, what were we going to say? No, we can't do that because we weren't going to get use and occupancy. If we kept, if we told the guy, no, that we weren't going to do this because he wasn't going to approve the building. So we made the changes, but the owner had to incur the costs, of some of the changes that were a difference in the 2009 to 2012. So it's, you know, it's kind of a similar thing is, you know, what is, you know, it, it just kind of, it kind of worries me that, you know, here we're going to be put in this position where we're going to have to worry about. It's like when we buy a car, you know, I buy cars and I drive them till the wheels fall off. And then I, you know, trade them in. So am I going to be held liable for, uh, you know, how I treated my vehicle when I owned it. Yeah. And the other thing that this kind of,
1: I think, again, it's going to ripple through the, who, who wants to be an architect in, in situations like this, when this is the landscape that you are getting into. Right. Uh, it's, it's definitely the kind of thing where it's going to, make it so that architects don't want to do this work and then who's going to do it i mean the same people who swapped out that glass that's who right so that that is another big problem yeah the corner
2: cutting uh developer that wanted to save a buck you know whether it was a cost overrunner he was just looking for a better profit margin you know um you know and i don't want to demonize him or anything but i mean you know that's what they're there for. They're there to turn a buck and to try to, you know, get the cost down as much as possible. And uh, and and here we're being held liable for that. So I guess you know
1: the one of the takeaways here is to push back. You know, push back hard, especially if you have that obviously the expertise and the knowledge to say that okay, here's why you can't do that. Um, but then also push back to say, you know what, that's, that's going to be bad for these people, your clients, clients. I mean, a lot of times it goes back to us saying, I know that you're making this decision based on X and Y, but you have to think about the people who are actually going to be in there. When I'm talking to my clients, I bring it up constantly. No, that's not right for the kids. You're... Decision to do this with the HVAC is not the right answer because of all the kids who are going to be in that classroom. It's – you're not making that decision based on the educational learning environment and the kids who are there half the year, right? You're making that right. decision based on a, a maintenance issue 10 years down the road. Right. Um, so – I, I guess I guess that's you know one of the big things that I would take away from this whole thing is that we have to stand our ground we have to push back and ultimately it's not our call but we are going to have to to make it very clear where we stand on these issues so that if this ever does happen um there is something that they can they can go back to and trace through the steps and see exactly what where where you stood on that issue well
0: and I think it you point out something very important, Evan, which uh, which you didn't specifically state, but it's document yes. everything that you're yeah. doing or de- decisions that are being made through your construction change directives or your uh, the other documents that you use during the process. Um, make sure you document that and put it in your file, print it out, uh, send those letters and, uh, you know, That's, that's, it's extremely important to have that because you'd never want to necessarily practice architecture, uh, thinking you're always going to be sued, (laughs)
1: always looking over your shoulder, always looking exactly.
0: But the realities are, uh, that does happen.
1: Well, look at, yeah, look at this issue, look Look at at this this issue.
0: Um, and it does happen and we have to protect ourselves. I mean, one of the, and, and Evan, you will probably be able to speak to this more than, than I certainly could, uh, because it's been a number of years since I first got my license. But, uh, I remember very, very clearly that was at least when I took the oral exam in California, that was something they focused on a lot was methods, procedures, and, and what forms do you use at what point during the process? And it seemed to all go back to CYA, cover your ass, (laughs) essentially, um, and that 's so so important as architects and, and part of the um, the the process of becoming an architect is learning all of that so that you can protect yourself, not only protecting yourself but protecting the health, safety, and welfare of the public but by doing that, you need to protect yourself at the same time and and I think if you if you document your way through the project. That at least if you are doing, and as Evan said, you know, stand up for yourself. And, and if you know something is wrong, either a don't approve it. And just, if they decide to change it, then you can document your disapproval. You send that letter to them. So they know it, it's been documented. And, you know, that's your, uh, that's your get out of free, you know, get out of jail free card. When the lawsuit comes, but you're still going to get there. You're still going to be sued.
1: Yeah. I had a a professor in school who, who never, every single class he taught structures, uh, every single class he would mention when you get sued, (laughs) (laughs) he never said if right, right. And that's
0: for, for those, why didn't we quit then? I don't know. Right. Well, for, because (laughs) for the same reason that our, our, our listeners uh, out there now are are not going to quit. We love what we do and we probably don't know how to do anything else. And so don't, don't let the threat of a lawsuit deter you from becoming an architect. I mean, it's, it's it's still, it's a great profession and it's just part of, one of those things you have to deal with and you likely have to deal with it, uh, in any profession. So it's, it's not something that is, um, specific to architects. (laughs) It might be
1: a reason to work for a larger firm.
0: Well, that's true. That that can be true. I mean, uh, getting, you're really scared of getting liability insurance as a small practitioner is, uh, expensive, but it's, it is, can be part of doing business. um, and uh you know if you do projects that are uh, of low risk like i do uh remodels and and uh and small additions or you know, things of that nature uh your your risk is pretty low and you try and minimize that as best you can so um you know it, it's not a bad thing and this this particular issue that came up between SOM and HKS uh, is a little scary because of the, uh, the the California Supreme court ruling and what it kind of opens us up to. Um, But I'd be really curious if any of our listeners out there have heard of this, uh, this issue, this, this originally was published last summer in in summer of 2014 and um, in searching around for uh, about this, that I couldn't really find any updates on on if if there was a, a settlement for instance or uh if it did go through and if they were found guilty uh or liable uh, ultimately on this particular uh uh lawsuit so uh, if any of our listeners have any additional information um on this uh please go to the website com, and uh in this case it would be uh/episodes uh 52 Slash episodes slash fifty two. That is, and uh, you know, and leave us uh, leave us some comments on on what you know about this particular issue, or if you have any uh, insights about uh, what this means uh, for architects. That uh, um, you know, if you're a, a lawyer that represents architects, maybe you can shed a little bit more light on this. Because uh, yeah, I think... they all listen to
1: this. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: there may be one. Okay, <laughs> do we cheat them and how? Yeah. So, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: but, uh, or if you know, any tell to suggest they listen to the show and, uh, and let us know uh, a little bit more information. Cause I, I think it would be very helpful, uh, to all of our listeners, um, uh, to know a little bit more about this and to be a little bit more educated. Cause if you're educated about it, uh, you can do the, your best to try and avoid it.
2: Let me, let me throw another, uh, monkey in the wrench here. What uh? What part does, like, say, a realtor have in basically selling a bill of goods to, you know, a potential condo owner, um, knowing that there's, you know, potential de- deficiencies um, in the product that they're selling to, you know? I mean, it's a um, case of, you know, you bought what you bought and live with it, you know? I mean, there's there's all sorts of other aspects to this that, unfortunately, the... Um, the article really didn't address, it just kind of blushed over all of the, the fine points didn't go into the depth of, of anything else. And all it really did like, you know, potentially any good article on, um, that's exactly five paragraphs long, um, will basically do is open up more questions. you know, asking for more details and just, you know, opening it up for, you know, the wonderful list of what is it about 50 or so comments, um, on just asking more questions. Well, I can shed
0: a tiny bit of light on this, uh, in dealing with, um, developers and selling homes that is. And, and when, and my role in this was to coordinate uh, disclosure statements that were written and and all put into the sales documents. Um, and so a lot of things are disclosed, uh, say if there was a, a railroad nearby and, uh, there's potential road, uh, railroad noise. Um, and so this information's put in there. If you've ever bought a house, you're, given a stack of papers that are two or three inches thick and you've got to initialize all this stuff and sign it all. And, and uh, so it may all be in there, but I don't know if everybody reads it. And even if they do read it all, they may not completely understand it. Um, But at the end of the day um, you accept those documents you dis, you under you have accepted all of the disclosures. So if you're not happy with something, I'm again from a legal aspect, I don't know, but I don't know if you've got much recor- recourse against your either real estate agent or the person selling you the house. Um, I, I funny story when I bought my house uh, the first time, and, and actually when I was putting offers in on other townhomes before I ended up buying my house, as I was looking through these. I was trying to be very careful. And I said to my real estate agent, I said, well, what if I disagree with something that's, you know, on this page here or, you know, something they're asking me to do or something. And I decide not to sign this or, or want to uh, complain about it or something. And he said, well, it, it, Neil, it's pretty simple. Uh, you don't sign it. You don't get the house. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. sure. that was kind of a harsh thing to say, but in reality that that's the kind of truth. Uh, well, I so. think in
2: this I think in this particular case though I mean what it you know boils down to is you've got a developer who's building a product and um through his his choice of let's just call it inferior materials has built a deficient product is he going to disclose the deficiency to the people he's trying to sell it to well, or is he just going to sell it
0: that's an interesting question, but it's deficient in by decided by whom? If it's it was decided, by if, him. if it's been built to meet the code, then is it deficient? Not per the code. Code not says it's code, okay,
2: which essentially is not per law. Right. Because no. if the code is the law and it's built to um, the code minimum, you know, again, and this is just, you know, I'm just throwing devil's advocate questions sure. out. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to form a statement or an opinion. I'm I'm curious about, you know, I want to, like I said, you know, like the, um, you know, like the article itself, I think our conversation has brought up more questions than it's, you know, brought up any answers or anything definitive. And, you know, I'd be really interested to hear what anybody else has to say about this and, you know about this case, you know, about their own experience in, you know, similar, uh, um, similar issues and whether or not they've, you know, had, um, you know, any other problems like this in, in their own practice.
3: Right.
0: Right. Well, I, I, not to, dis- I, I understand what you were saying. Um, and, and I agree, but, uh, I think that, uh, there, there are definitely some issues we don't know about with this particular case, sure. and um, it does raise a lot more questions. So I think this is an open-ended conversation and, and something that maybe we can follow up on if, if we get some more information or have some input uh, from a legal aspect. Um, I think it would be kind of fascinating to maybe follow up on this uh, later this year. So, And we should probably do that. So as we wrap this show up, I did want to bring uh to mention that uh, this is um, the end of what we kind of uh, uh, have, have mentioned before uh, amongst ourselves as what we're calling season two. Uh, yeah. We're at episode 52 and uh, we do uh, essentially two episodes a month. So we're at the end of our second year. And so episode 53 will be the start of season three as we we're, we're calling right? it. So, uh, you know, I just want to, Say, uh, thanks guys. It's been a a fun year, even though we're in January, but we're wrapping up our season now. So we're, we're not going to go on a hiatus though. So we're, we're going to be back in, in two more weeks with another new episode.
1: And I've got my ticket to Atlanta. I hope you guys do (laughs) (laughs) because we're going right.
2: Uh, I was just planning on having you go. Yeah. Represent. Well, we'll see. No, we'll see. We'll
0: I don't know. What do our listeners think? Do they want to see Arcuspeak uh, in Atlanta at the AIA convention? I think uh, I think we need to get some input from our listeners. So, if you think Arcuspeak needs to be at uh, the AIA convention, you got to let us know.
1: You got to tweet it.
0: You got to tweet it. Put some comments on the site, our Facebook page, on iTunes.
2: Help us get you know. some support from the AIA National. You know, yes. Hint, yes. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge
1: yeah you guys do have homework
0: absolutely our listeners got have some homework to do we We would love to actually do a show uh from the from the convention uh and be a part of the program there at the a i a convention so uh if you know the right people uh get them in touch with us uh because we we'd like to do it and uh and we we want to hear if uh if you our listeners want to see us and get a chance to meet us in person, which i don't know if is that's a good idea or not but <laughs> it it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. So uh we uh so let us know. Um you can definitely uh, go to the website arcspeakpodcast.com. Uh there there's links to our Facebook page. Uh so you can uh leave us comments there as well and let us know. And if you'd like, we haven't mentioned it in a while, but on every single page, I believe on the website is our phone number. So if you'd like to call us and leave a uh, leave us a message, that number is 415 415- four eight four eight four nine six and you can leave us an audio
2: message and tell us what you really think. What if they want to become a friend of the show?
0: Yes, you can become a friend of the show and get your name read on the show. If you want to become famous and become the Ar- art of uh season three episode and the family of Arcaspeak, yes right. Donate what is that Evan? I think
1: uh what do you have to do to do that? It's five dollars at arccusspeakpodcast dot com slash donate You can obviously donate more and all of the donations that come in through that are a huge help uh to running this podcast. It is not uh, an inexpensive endeavor that we have here, so please uh, go to com slash donate five dollars get your name read on the show as a friend of the show and we love getting new friends here at Arcus Speak.
0: Absolutely. And uh, a shout out as well to uh Arcat, uh, a sponsor for this particular episode of Arcus Speaks and thank you very much for for them to uh, sponsoring the show.
1: Yeah, everybody go to
0: arcat.com. All right guys, well uh, congratulations on wrapping up season 2 and uh, look forward to getting started on season 3 in a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, thanks guys.
0: All right, night.
3: This is my kind of luck, I'll be up on the block in front of all of my friends This is what you get This is what you get This is a schedule, this is the set It's so predictable as you forget If it's low you can bet I know, I know, I know This is what you get This is a schedule, this is the set It's so predictable as you forget Every blow you can bet I know, I know, I know With the race, back and apps Bag chunks on pages that was the rage of news cool and a toilet fool And this is what you get This is what you get This is a schedule This is a set It's so predictable us you forget Get the flow you can bet I know I know I know This is what you get This is a schedule This is a set it's unpredictable as you forget. If you know you can bet, I know, I know.